on the one hand, there's some apathy towards politics, which is definitely there. And it's like, oh, I, I don't care. It's like, they're the same Democrats, Republicans. I don't care. Oh, what does gerrymandering do? It puts one instead of the other. Well, I don't, that doesn't matter. But there's also, I feel like, a bunch of people, like, I would say a majority even, like among kids my own age, who actually do care and who are actually interested in finding solutions to problems. And I feel like to a certain extent, it's less tribal, especially like among high schoolers and young adults. It's like the tribal mentality really isn't there. Hey everyone, it's Jenna from the Democracy Works team. As you might have seen, we are in the midst of a listener survey, which you can complete by clicking on the link in the show notes or visiting democracyworkspodcast.com slash survey. We would love your feedback about what you like about the show, what you don't like, who you think we should have on as a guest, all those types of things. And please leave us your name and email at the end of the survey for a chance to win a Democracy Works coffee mug, which, as I've said before, is the perfect holiday gift for the democracy enthusiast in your life. And in the survey responses we've gotten so far, several people told us that they thought we should have more students, more young people on the show as guests. And that's exactly what we have for you today. So ask and you shall receive. Uh, Today, you're going to hear from Kyle Hines, who is a junior at State College Area High School, and as you'll hear, a true advocate for democracy. He is the statewide champion in the youth division of the Draw the Lines Pennsylvania Mapping Competition and the winner of the Future Leader in Social Studies Award from the Pennsylvania Council on Social Studies. During this interview, we talk about gerrymandering, ranked choice voting, impeachment, and what seems to be a growing generational divide in politics. I am not at all ashamed to admit that Kyle taught me a thing or two during this interview. Uh, His enthusiasm, his optimism really comes through, and, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kyle Hines. Kyle, thank you for joining us on Democracy Works. Thank you. So we are going to talk today about your work with Draw the Lines PA and the the map that that you made for them. But I also want to talk with you about impeachment and kind of what you think about democracy more broadly as we come to the end of the year. um, We are interested to hear kind of kind of a different perspective, a a more youthful take on some of what's happening right now. So we'll get to all that. But uh, first, and I think most most salient is. Uh, your work with Draw the Lines PA. Uh, you are the statewide champion in the youth division. Yeah. Is that right? So um, how how did you become interested in gerrymandering and, and where did the idea come from to, to draw your own map? So I've always been really interested in math. Um, I've been a math geek my whole life. I've been interested in politics for quite a while. And so I like I'm really interested in the areas where they intersect, where math and politics kind of come together. And I feel like gerrymandering is one of those places. And like redistricting, where it's like a giant puzzle, like it's a logistical puzzle, and you try to put it together. So I've always thought this is like really interesting. And then um, when I saw that there was a competition, <laughs> like you can draw your own map, see if you can do it better. I was like, I want to try that. So yeah. yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah. So you said you've been interested in politics for a while. I mean, is it something like, did your family talk about talk politics around the dinner table or where did that interest spark for you? All the time. So our family's uh, like really politically engaged and uh, like my political interest kind of sparked during the 2016 primaries where it seemed 
almost like, especially on the Republican side, just because there were more candidates, it seemed almost like a giant game. It's like, <laughs> it's like the Hunger Games, who can get to the cornucopia first? Yeah. And it was like, I felt like it was really cool. I'm like, is this really how we choose our politicians? Really? And so that kind of like sparked an interest for me. And then it's kind of like carried through ever since. Yeah. So where, I mean, so there's like the, the horse race, right? That's one thing. When when did you become aware of these more kind of grassroots movements or, you know, pro-democracy reforms, things like Draw the Lines PA and and movements to stop gerrymandering? So I, uh, I really got involved with like the gerrymandering stuff. Like I, I first became aware that gerrymandering was a problem. I think it was, it must have been around 2017 when we were starting to talk about the midterm elections coming up and the congressional races. And I had, before I had like known that gerrymandering was a problem, but this was the, this was the first time I'd actually like gotten to see some of these districts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like how do they benefit from that? And so I did some research and I thought that's horrifying. And so I decided to that I wanted to get involved to try to end gerrymandering. And so I joined this group called Fair Districts PA, which does a lot of uh, like good government fair districting work in Pennsylvania. And that was kind of my first introduction with like grassroots politics. Mm-hmm. And, and so what did your friends think when you're like talking about this gerrymandering stuff and getting involved in, in grassroots politics? <laughs> um, some of my friends are interested in politics. All have a lower tolerance for politics than I do. <laughs> but yeah, so... Sometimes there's the reaction of, oh, Kyle, just shut up about the damn politics. But often, like, sometimes they are interested in politics and, and stuff like that. So Yeah. So when you when you say, like, a low tolerance for politics, can you just expand on that a little bit more? I think that, you know, we our, our podcast audience maybe tends to skew a little bit older and has different different habits, different thoughts, different different opinions about how they interact with politics. Yeah. So I feel like it's interesting because among, like, at least my generation, there's... On the one hand, there's some apathy towards politics, which is definitely there. And it's like, oh, I I don't care. It's like they're the same Democrats, Republicans. I don't care. Oh, what does gerrymandering do? It puts one instead of the other. Well, I don't, that doesn't matter. They're all corrupt. They're all out for their own ends. But there's also, I feel like, a bunch of people, like I would say a majority even, like among kids my own age, who actually do care and who do like and who are actually interested in finding solutions to problems and i feel like to a certain extent it's less tribal especially like among high schoolers and young adults it's like the tribal mentality really isn't there like for instance in our government class when we have discussions about how to best find solutions to problems like there's less like oh well you're a republican i hate you you're a democrat you're evil satan it's more like how do we actually find a solution across party lines to do something so i feel like that's kind of encouraging towards the future and so you through this this experience of of making this map i know you you testified before the the governor's commission on on redistricting or were kind of involved yeah. in that process you've had the chance to like engage with people from a variety of different age groups, right? And here maybe yeah. some differences in, in how older generations perceive politics. Why, what 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 do you attribute the, the kind of difference in, in mentality among you and your peers to? And, and do you foresee a situation or where, you know, you might end up in that more kind of entrenched position down the road? I feel like to a certain extent, part of the... Like, part of the reason people, at least in my generation, are more, or I don't, I don't want to say more, but, like, are often inclined towards being less tribal and less partisan, part of that might just be because we haven't 
been through as much politically. Like, I know for most people in America, this is their second impeachment, right? This is our first. And so it's like, I feel like part of it could just be like other people have been around for longer. They've seen more. They've had more to put into their calculation of deciding what they want, like what they really want things to look like. Whereas I think there are pros and cons to not having been through as much. On the one hand, I know like I try to be less entrenched personally, and I know a lot of my friends do too. On the other hand, there can be a layer of naivety there and there's less political experience. So I feel like it like there are pros and cons. So you, you mentioned your, your government class earlier. Can you talk a little bit about what your civics education has been like to date? Yeah, so um, through the school district, there's a certain amount of civics education. They have an eighth grade civics class, which was pretty good. And then the only thing after that is the AP government class in 12th grade. So both of those classes have certainly played a role. I feel like like another big contributor to my civics education, like my parents are both really politically minded, civically minded, and they both raised me from an early age to care about this stuff. And like, yeah, it's just an election, but it can affect you, stuff like that. And they taught me to be invested in it and interested in it and do stuff to work towards what I support. So I feel like that, especially uh, like kicking off my interest during the 2016 campaign, where we'd like sit around the dinner table, talk about politics, stuff like that. I feel like that's what kind of kick-started it. Yeah. Can, can you give me an example of something you, you did with your parents or maybe a, a particular moment that kind of embodies that, that sense of civic engagement that they seem to have instilled in you? Well, uh, when I was, how old was I? I was 12. Oh, my God. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're so old, Kyle. All of 16 years old now. No. So when I was 12, my dad and I would go to the, like, go to the gym and they'd have CNN generally like playing on the television screens at the YMCA. So we'd be running on the treadmills and I like oftentimes I would just watch the news, see what was going on. And then on the way home, we'd usually talk about like what had been happening um, in the world, like what the most recent polls were looking like or how the Republican or Democratic primaries were taking shape. And so I felt like that was interesting. Like, and it was really great, I feel like, to actually have that experience as a really young 12-year-old who didn't know anything about politics to be able to, like, talk through what was going on, like, politically. And, yeah, so I feel like that was a really good way to kind of get that intro. Great. And so what what was your process like for learning how to draw the, the map that you made for Draw the Lines PA? I felt like like, I, I had certainly seen a lot of, uh, like, alternate Pennsylvania congressional maps that people had drawn saying, hey, I can do this better than the politicians in Harrisburg. And so, like, I feel like I drew some from a lot of those different maps uh, and, like, different attitudes towards districting. And I feel like I also, like, I feel like I also kind of pulled on my math background because I wanted to create as many districts that were competitive for both sides as possible And I feel like at some point that was just a pure puzzle. Like it was just how do I cobble the precincts together in such a way that you get as many 50-50 districts Mm -hmm. as you can. Yeah. So that would be competitiveness, right? There's like there's there's several factors that that can go into to map making competitiveness, compactness, you know, on and on Mm -hmm. and on. So how did you decide which factors were, were most important to you, which ones to prioritize? So I felt like I wanted to use competitive districts because like in my perfect world, uh, if we had an electoral system of my choice, it would be a proportional representation system so that everyone could actually have a say in choosing the government, 
but obviously this competition didn't allow for that. You, you drew the district. And so I felt like I wanted to draw a map that gave every single voter as much say as physically possible. And so given that voters in safe seats don't really have much of a say at all in choosing who is going to represent them, because the seat will go the same way every time, I decided that it's really important that both parties have a real chance to win um, any given seat. And so I feel like that kind of trumped any other issue for me, like keeping the districts compact, keeping like similar communities together, like the Lehigh Valley, Delaware Valley, stuff like that, the main line. And although I did try to do that whenever possible, I felt like it was more important to have every single Pennsylvanian have a say in who went to Congress than to have a congressman from the Lehigh Valley and a congressman from Pittsburgh and so on. Mm-hmm. Can you just just give us a quick uh, explanation about proportional representation? You're, you're giving us a civics lesson here today. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, proportional representation is like it's what most countries around the world use. And as opposed to having like one representative elected from each individual district, there's a like there's a system where in some systems each voter will cast a vote for a particular party and then candidates that were pre-selected by that party through primaries will win election to the parliament or the congress in the in whatever ratio they were elected in so if a party won half the votes the top half of their list would make it in other can in other countries they use systems where they have larger districts that elect seven or eight representatives or even fewer than that and they'll be elected by what's called a single transferable vote system which is when candidate like voters will rank the candidates like in the order of preference from favorite to least favorite and then they'll use an elimination system similar to ranked choice voting to actually produce a final set of candidates that is proportional to the votes cast and so i feel like any of these systems give voters more of a say than does our current system, because our current system has safe, has safe seats and the power of someone's vote depends on where they live. And in a lot of these other countries, which use proportional representation, that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kyle, a lot of people that we've had on this show, when we ask them, like, what about politics gives you hope? They always say the youth, the kids. <laughs> they, people are putting, like, a lot of faith in your generation, just kind of putting that out there. Are, are you aware of that at all or i mean do you do you think about that that you know boomers and others are are kind of looking to you guys to like reverse some of the the mistakes that that might have been made politically or kind of how we got into some of the situations we're in today i mean sometimes yeah and but i feel like overall even like i feel like the youth in any generation are always the least jaded to put it one way But I feel like as people go through life, they often become more and more and more jaded. But I feel like a lot of the issues that have been prevalent in the past and even today, there is, like, I certainly hope that our generation or generations above us can take care of the issues uh, because somebody's got to. So I feel like on the one hand, it's it's a little bit of pressure, like we're going to give it to youth, to the youth, see what they can do with it. But on the other hand, I think... Like, in the future, our generation will end up taking the reins of power. And I feel like, like, I hope that we can do good things with them. So you are, I'm sure, familiar with the OK Boomer meme. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What is your biggest, like, OK Boomer moment when it comes to to politics or or (laughs) things things that you think that the the boomers kind of misinterpret about, about your generation? 
Well, I feel like the OK Boomer meme is kind of like, like, I feel like it, like, it definitely has caught fire. I feel like it oversimplifies a lot in a way, and it, uh, like, it kind of alienates a huge segment of the population. Like, under the stereotypes, they're just all, like, old white people. Like, oh, they'll die eventually. Like, under that whole, so, like, we don't care what they think anymore or something like that. And I feel like that's kind of not what we need in our civic discourse today. I feel like it's tough to answer the question because a lot of, uh, like, a lot of things, even though, like, they're, like, almost everything, there are a lot of people in that, like, a lot of boomers who agree with what I think and a lot who don't. And a lot of, like, a lot of people who have been doing things to advance what we need to do in a bunch of these different categories and a bunch who don't. But I feel like of all of the issues that, uh, like, I feel like older generations, like the one currently in power now in D.C., has failed in. And this is not like a dispersion on any generation as a whole, but just the, like, just the part of it that is currently in power is climate change. Because I feel like they've had a long time, and by they I mean, like, the caucuses in Washington, a long time to deal with this, and it hasn't been dealt with. And so I feel like that's something that's going to end up being passed down to our generation, which we're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've, you know, we've, we've heard that too, that, uh, I mean, and certainly we've seen, you know, Greta Thunberg and, you know, people yeah. kind of bringing, bringing voice to, to, to some of these things you've, you've, you've just articulated. The other thing that's on people's minds a lot right now is impeachment. impeachment. Uh, as we sit here and record this in late November of 2019, um, I think it'll probably be a couple weeks before the episode comes out, but people will still no doubt be talking about it. How are you feeling about it? Is it something that like you and your friends are talking about or are you, you talking about it in school? Help, help give us a, a window into what that looks like. Absolutely. So I feel like, uh, I feel like this is the biggest political earthquake, if you will, that's taken place certainly within the time that I've been conscious of anything going on in the political world, that is. I feel like we've definitely talked a lot about it in our government class. Um, we talk about it sometimes just inside conversations because it's not something that any of us have experienced before. And I feel like it's kind of bringing us into this civil dialogue as a country that has the potential on the one hand to tear us apart on the other hand i think it's really useful to actually have civil dialogue in the way that we do now do, so do you think that the the dialogue happening around impeachment is civil or what what parts of it do you see as as civil perhaps well by civil like by civil dialogue i don't mean like polite i just ah. mean like in like the civic ah, I sphere see. okay okay no it's <laughs> <laughs> it's not like i feel like a lot of it is not civil in like in general but again like i feel like a lot of like i have friends who support impeachment i have friends who don't think the president should be impeached and i feel like we're able to talk about it without like clawing at each other's throats and again part of that could just be because for the most part like other high schoolers are not very politically engaged but i feel like it could also just be going back to what I was talking about earlier, uh, like a sort of willingness to compromise on stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of where that that all plays out. And also if that that willingness to, to compromise kind of 
persists uh, as as everyone gets older. So as we start to to bring things to a close here, there are four questions that we we sometimes ask at the end of every episode. Uh, They're based on the McCourtney Institutes for for Democracy's Mood of the Nation poll. So we have this public opinion poll that we send out to to people throughout the country and we ask them uh, four things. uh, What makes what in politics makes you angry, proud, worried? And hopeful. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting to, to maybe get your take on on some of those things. So Kyle, thinking about politics and and what's going on in the in the the country in the world today, what makes you angry? What makes me angry? I feel like the thing that makes me angriest about politics, and part of it's anger and part of it's just sadness, is that we've seen a lot of hateful rhetoric that has largely been shelved in both the U.S. and the world for decades. And it hasn't, it has never gone away, but I feel like it's coming back in this terrible manifestation where, like, we've seen more open, like, more open racism, more open misogyny. We've seen really radical, like, in a lot of countries, really radical populist movements taking power, uh, like, like the, uh, five-star movement in Italy, the national rally almost in France. I feel like a lot of these, like a lot of these places you have a really, like just really reactionary movements. And I feel like watching that kind of makes me think like, why is it like, why now? Why is this happening now? Like this, we, we've been beyond this for such a long time, or at least it's been less evident. Why now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly for for your your entire lifetime, I think you could probably argue. Uh, and then, what makes you proud? I feel like proud. I feel like the fact that we have in America right now so many grassroots movements that are trying to, like on both sides of the political spectrum, that are trying to do what needs to be done in order, like, or at least what they think needs to be done, which could be different from any other person's idea of that but I feel like the fact that they're all working in this political sphere and that Americans are more conscious about politics than ever before and that people are more willing to like even if it's not really that civil like at least people are talking about it and people are realizing that all of this makes a huge difference on their lives what in politics or or what's happening today makes you worry I feel like Sort of going back to my first answer about these reactionary movements uh, on the extremes of politics, like it does worry me that in a ton of countries, including in the U.S., you have kind of a hateful vitriolic fringe that appears to be growing. So that's the one thing that would make me worried. And then secondly, just climate change. Like it's just it's an unmitigated disaster. And then finally, what gives you hope? I feel like what gives me hope? There's a lot. I feel like it kind of, again, ties back into this, like the thing I was talking about in What Makes Me Proud. And it might even be a better answer for hopeful than it was to the first one, that we have a ton of people who actually care about politics for maybe the first time, more people voting than ever before, more people involved in politics than ever before, like talking to their representatives, telling them what they think, actually making politics like a civic discourse that we haven't had in a long time. Like Congress is no longer like some shadowy little beast in the underbelly of DC that no one pays much attention to and they just go vote every four years. It's much more, like many more people actually care about it, whatever side they may be on, like Democrat, Republican, whatever it is, 
and they're more willing to actually make their voice heard. And I feel like that's a really good sign going forward to have more political engagement. Okay, great. Um, So last question, Kyle, what does democracy mean to you? It's a loaded question. Yeah, Um, indeed. That's why I saved it for the end. (laughs) Democracy. I feel like democracy is only like people are only actually exercising democracy when they're actually making their voices heard. Like, I feel like it goes beyond voting. Like, sure, the, the right to vote is a key part of democracy, and you can't have democracy without it. But there's that. There's the right to, like, meet with your representatives. There's the right to free speech, the right to, like, a free press. And all of these things, I feel like, are so key to democracy. It's, like, it is rule of the people, like, by the people, but it's also rule of the people, rule for the people. So having... Like having this, uh, like having a system where you can actually talk about what you want to talk about, you can make your voice heard, you can vote, and you like a, a situation where every single person has the same key right to vote, which is really fundamental. And where you don't have like certain people blocking other people's right to vote or right to vote meaningfully. Or, and so I feel like if you, like, I feel like the U.S. is almost a democracy, I would want to say, where we have, like, so many of these key tenets. Like, you have the constitutionally enshrined right to vote, who like, whoever you are, if you're over 18. You have the right to speak your mind. You have the right to pray however you want or not at all. You have the right to a free press, all these important things. But on the other hand, I feel like we still have a slight way to go. We have, like, there is voter suppression, which is taking place in various forms there's uh, like there's gerrymandering which I feel like is honestly one of the biggest things holding us back I feel like we do need electoral reform in a ton of different ways before we can truly be like a full democracy and that includes I would say proportional representation because your vote is not equal if you're in a safe district um, and abolishing the electoral college and reforming the senate big time I feel like all of these things need to be done to actually make sure that every vote is equal in the U.S. is actually a democracy. And so I feel like if you don't have the right to an equal voice and if you don't have the right to speak your mind, then you can never have democracy. Yeah. So, Kyle, you just like summed up our entire podcast in that like two or three minutes, however long that was. Um, Do you have questions are there things that you're trying to like grapple with or you know turn over in your mind when it when it comes to politics absolutely because i feel like like especially with so much of what's going on now like it's it is unprecedented in a lot of ways and i like i know a lot of people uh, most people obviously who are alive now went through the clinton impeachment inquiry many went through the nixon impeachment inquiry uh but this is my first time going through this. So there's a lot of um, like, so it's it's new and I'm turning a lot of it over in my head. And a lot of it's resulting in like, well, why? Why is it this way? Why is it this way? So I feel like it's really hard to like get my head around. Like even if this procedural part, like House votes by a majority, Senate votes by two thirds, even if procedurally it's easy to wrap your head around everything going on and the whole situation around uh, like the President Trump and the whole Ukrainian scandal is so, like, it's so messy and complicated. But I feel like it's really interesting to try to, like, wrap your head around it. Yeah. 
Well, Carl, this has been a super fascinating conversation. If if you are representative of your generation as a whole, I think we're all going to be just fine. <laughs> you can I kind of put that, that out thank there. You. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Works. Thank you. I appreciate it. Democracy Works is produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and WPSU Penn State, Central Pennsylvania's NPR station. Andy Grant is our engineer, and our editors are Mark Stitzer and Chris Kugler. Additional support comes from Ann Danahay, Emily Reddy, Shireen Stanford, Craig Johnson, and the rest of the team at WPSU. For more information on this episode and detailed show notes, visit our website at democracyworkspodcast.com. And if you like what you heard today, please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.